Well, before we get started, I'd like to start us with prayer, if you don't mind. And if you do mind, (laughs) we're going to start with prayer. (laughs) Gracious Father, we just thank you for tonight. And I, I do too feel your presence here and that you are moving amongst us and within us. And just pray, Lord, you'd continue to do so. Lord, I humbly ask that you'd use me to speak your words and your words only. And I pray that all of us here, including myself, we would have ears to hear what you were saying to us, minds to understand, hearts to receive what you want to do within us this evening. In your precious son's name, amen. When Peggy and I first started coming here, um, back in fall of 19, probably right around this time of year, Pastor Shar got up and was speaking, and she gave a, uh, for some reason, she started off with a recipe of something Cajun, and burnt my mouth right out, just the thought of what it, so she said, up here in northern Wisconsin, you don't know what kind of good food is, and so, well, us Norwegians, we have a hot dish that burns your mouth out, it is so spicy, it's called kumla, you take a picnic ham, you cook it, and you make a ham broth, you put potato dumplings in it, you take it out, and I'll tell you, that is so spicy. Oh, that is spicy. My dad would put salt and pepper on it, but that was too spicy for me. <laughs> but uh, it, seriously, it's very good. It sets your cholesterol count for a year, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Needless to say, a little mo- about a month ago, I got a text from Pastor Shar saying, would I like to speak? And I thought, well, I had given a couple of offering messages, so I immediately text back, are you talking about the offering or the main message? She goes, the message after the offering. I'm like, okay, something's wrong upstairs. <laughs> These guys are very bold. I mean, you know, I just love them dearly, and uh, they have been great encouragers to me, to my family, and so my next problem was what to speak on, and because I have a deep love or passion, as some people would say, For the Jewish roots of our faith, I always like to correct people. It's not the roots. Paul said we're grafted into a tree. uh, But nonetheless, I do have a deep abiding love for the background of our faith. And uh, so I thought, well, Hanukkah's coming up. I could speak on Hanukkah. And, um, you know, the Lord said no. In fact, real quickly, the Lord told me that it was going to be a message about freedom and but it was also going to have to not sound real fun at first to talk a little bit about hidden nightmares because hidden nightmares are not fun and we just came out of a season of thanksgiving and it's hard to be thankful if you have something inside that's eating you up and that for whatever reason you don't want to tell people about it now in my life i i came from a pretty ordinary background uh, with my mom and dad and my older brother and sister and a younger brother. We lived in DeKalb, Illinois. And uh, I know that explains some of what my son calls the weirdness in me because, yes, I'm a Cubs fan, a Blackhawks fan. I like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Bears, despite how miserable they are. <laughs> I am aware of that. I'm not fooled. But anyway, we moved up here in 71. So I spent my junior and senior year in Hayward High School. And in the summer of 72, I got caught up in a little thing called the Jesus Revolution. It swept through colleges, it swept through high schools, and that summer I gave my life to the Lord. Unfortunately, and I want the young people to pay close attention, 
I ran from the Lord because I thought my senior year's coming up. I don't want to be called a Jesus freak. I don't want to be called a holy roller or a Bible thumper or any of the other names that they had for kids in our high school that gave their lives to the Lord. So I thought my senior year, I'm still pretty new to the school. I'm not doing that. And for the next five years, I ran, and I opened my life to a lot of junk. I mean, a lot of junk. And so if any young person here tonight is thinking about maybe this Jesus thing isn't really cool and maybe I ought to try the world out, don't. Talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to one of the pastors, talk to a cell leader, get a hold of somebody and say, why is this a bad idea? Or get a hold of me and I'm gonna tell you, it's a really dumb idea. And I'm not trying to be hard on anybody, but I tried it, it failed. I opened my life, including to my hidden nightmare. But anyway, I finished uh, the, my Hayward High School in my senior year, went to college at Eau Claire, and the junk started pouring in there, a lot of different kind of junk. And uh, I went off to, um, after I graduated, I taught up back up in the Hayward area. I was out at the Lacoudere Ojibwa High School for three and a half years before I went to Portland, Oregon, because between my junior and senior year in college, I gave my life back to the Lord again. Unfortunately, nobody was there that had like a freedom ministry that was gonna take me aside and say, okay, Jeff, you got some junk, let's get rid of it for you. Unfortunately, the church didn't have any discipleship program to say we need to disciple you. I, listen, I loved my pastor from back then, but he was fresh out of seminary. He had a church of 30 people. Most of them were retired, and he was overworked and had no help, and said he handed me a brochure and said, you're saved for sure, do you want to take over the youth? Are you kidding? I was in the worst shape the youth was in. <laughs> but I thought, okay, I'm okay. That's the way every, everybody was told. I'm okay. I, I don't have to worry about this. So anyway, I taught three and a half years at LCO. I went off to Portland to go to seminary after a while. I returned back here in 86. I pastored in Danbury and in Stone Lake, and it was during my stint at Stone Lake I met my beautiful wife. She's told me not to say that, probably, but. <laughs> so I'm not to point her out in the second row there, one over, so. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. But anyway, Peggy and I pastored over at uh, um, Edgewater, North of Dan, north of uh, Birchwood, excuse me, and uh, for 23 years and a few years up at Minong. But I had a hidden nightmare, and that was I was addicted to pornography. I didn't know it at first. Because <laughs> young people, again, 30 years ago, there were no computers, there were no online things of any kind, because my college had one computer and it took up two classrooms. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> So it was magazines and things like that, and I just convinced myself it was a bad habit. Would throw the magazines away, buy some new ones, throw it away. But by the time I got married, I thought it was in my past. I finally broke that nasty habit, and yet it took me step by step all along the way. It came to me as I was preparing for tonight that there are other kinds of hidden nightmares. First of all, there's other kinds of addictions. There's drug addictions. There's uh, alcohol addictions, gambling addictions, Facebook addiction, believe it or not. And if you don't believe me, listen to the testimony that the Facebook executives gave to Congress when they admitted to programming it to be addicting. And that's all the social media. They want you to be pulled into this because they want to teach you and fill your mind full of just nonsense. There are other kinds of hidden nightmares, secret sins. 
You know, if you work in an office and you take something home, like I just took a couple of pens home, big deal. Were they your pens? If you work in a clothing store and you took an item home and said, well, they don't pay me very well, I'd earned it. You know, anytime we do something in secret, I best, if you were honest with yourself, you would say it eat it, it eats at me. And then there's guilt. Guilt can be a horrible nightmare because if you did something a long time ago and you asked for forgiveness, you received the forgiveness, but you never forgave yourself, that guilt eats at you. And then years later, you don't want to tell anybody. I'm feeling guilty over something I did 20 years ago. You're afraid people are going to laugh at you. And then there's, of course, nightmares that were inflicted upon you, upon people. Trauma of all different kinds. There are, you know, like, horrible accidents. I was in an accident one, one year that was just, it happened right at sunrise, and for years afterwards, at sunrise and at sunset, if I was traveling, I flinched at everything, because of trauma. Now, that was mild compared to somebody who was in an accident, maybe that where some people died. Sudden death of a loved one can be a traumatic event. Molestation, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, psychological and verbal abuse can all create nightmares in people, and if they're not dealt with, they eat away at the inside of a person. And of course, war veterans come back with all kinds of trauma. My father was a World War II veteran. He never talked openly and honestly about his experience until almost 50 years after the war. When I was a kid growing up, he made it sound like an old TV show that was a comedy called Hogan's Heroes. He made it just sound like it was no big deal. And then suddenly, about 50 years later, he's talking about bombing runs. He, was a, he flew in an airplane and about where he saw other planes of friends of his going down. Never heard such stories from my dad before. But I realize now, looking back, the trauma that was in him that he had to live with. Wasted lives. Boy, I tell you, that's going to be one of the worst things you can have is the feeling of a wasted life and feel like, what do I do from here? Especially as you get older. You feel like, oh, you look back and say, I just blew it. I wasted my life. Spiritual doubts, spiritual struggles. I'm sure both of our pastors can talk about some people who were brave enough to go to them and say, I'm really struggling with this spiritual thing. You know, I hear one person say this, I hear another person say that, and I don't know what to believe, or I have prayers that are going unanswered, and I'm just doubting God. But if you don't speak up, you keep it in the dark, it eats at you. And then there's one of the worst ones is when you feel like you don't have any place in life. Not just a wasted life, but I have no place. When my wife and I got married, every, all the guys in her family hunted and fished. I know how to drown a worm, and I know one end of a gun from another, but I don't hunt. <laughs> so I really felt out of place at family gatherings. They'd be all, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, and I got this buck, and I'm like, you know, have you never gone deer hunting? No. What do you got against guns? Nothing. <laughs> but I like venison, give me some, you know. <laughs> These things entrap us. And they all become in the eyes of the viewer. And don't worry, I do have some scripture verses I'm going to share. <laughs> You're like, okay, this guy's giving his opinion. What is this going on? But really, nightmares can be all in the eyes of the viewer. My nightmare is big. Your nightmare is puny. Or the reverse can be the worst thing possible, 
is you look at your nightmare and you say, this is so small and insignificant. I'll feel like an idiot if I tell anybody. If I go to Pastor Bob and tell him that this is, he'll laugh at me. Of course, he won't. But, you know, that's how we feel. But the, the fact is, all nightmares that you have that are hidden, that are eaten up, they are important and they're big and they need to be properly dealt with. There was a guy in the Bible named King David. He had a hidden nightmare once. Now, he made mistakes. I've been reading King David's story lately, and he, there was a lot of times he made mistakes and sinned. I mean, he, it just wasn't the one we all think of. There were other times. So he was far from perfect. But there was a time when David was supposed to be out in the fields with his troops. He wasn't. He stayed home. He saw Bathsheba. He lusted after Bathsheba. He had an affair with Bathsheba. He got her pregnant. You tell me the king of Israel wasn't just dying on the insides? What am I going to do with this mess that I've created? And of course, like all good human beings, he says, I'm going to hide it. <laughs> Don't we all want to do that when we mess up? I mean, it's like kids, they break something, they sweep it under the rug, and mom and dad come in, crunch, crunch, crunch. What's that crunching under the rug? It's your favorite lamp. It fell off somehow, got under the rug, I don't know. <laughs> David brings Uriah, the husband, home, says, spend the night with your wife. Uriah doesn't do it, so David panics, sends him off with a battle plan designed to get him killed. And when we say that, it's a nice way of saying David had Uriah murdered, and he was the one who did the killing. So now he covers up his hidden nightmare with another nightmare because nightmares beget other nightmares. It's just the way they are. If you don't take care of a nightmare, it's just going to make more. It made another one. And so David now thinks, now I'm going to really top it off. I'm going to marry Bathsheba, this poor widow. And if, you know, if people find out she's pregnant, great. They'll think I'm being a nice guy and taking care of this child that's not mine. Or they'll think it's mine. Either way, I win. Well, God doesn't believe in that kind of situation. He blew it up in his face with the prophet. How could this happen with a man after God's own heart? Now, this is an important thing, a part of what I want to share tonight it is about freedom, about how to get free. But David here dug a hole for himself, and he was a man after God's own heart. Well, Jewish rabbis and sages, because I do read these things, and I think there's some Christian scholars that would probably agree with me, says, what is God's heart? Well, the Jewish people believe, well, look at David's writings. I delight in thy law both day and night. <laughs> you know, I can't get enough of it. He wrote about the law a lot. He said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. David was always writing about the word of God. So the rabbis concluded, it's the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And just as a side note, because this is the, the kind of the person I am, Torah does not mean the law. It means God's instructions. The law is in it. <laughs> so I'm not going to deny that. So they said, the, the Torah is God's heart. And then you might be thinking, okay, it's his heart, it's his heart. So what's the heart of the Torah? I got razzed a little bit. Someone was supposed to read Leviticus tonight, and they didn't. They lied to me. But Leviticus is the middle Torah book. <laughs> I'm not going to name anybody. 
But the Torah, in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the middle book is Leviticus. Now you might, come on, Leviticus is God's heart? Mold, mildew, skin afflictions? That's God's heart? Because that's what was in Leviticus, or a lot of it. Okay, how many here, people here tonight heard Bobby Connor? Okay, get ready to get your socks blown off. The middle of Leviticus is chapter 16. And chapter 16 is about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Bobby Connor said on that day, God always has a special, has a special encounter with God on that day. Because on Yom Kippur is the day the high priest got to go into the Holy of Holies. And when he went into the Holy of Holies, it wasn't just to pray for the forgiveness of Israel's sin. He got to spend time in there with God. He got to spend time in the Shekinah glory of God. How many of us here would like to have a personal time with God like that every day? Can you imagine one of the times, one of the high priests, especially in the early days in the wilderness, he comes out after Yom Kippur, the next day he sits down with Moses at lunch. Was that what it was like with you up on Mount Sinai? And Moses like, well, yeah, and then some. Can I do it next year too? I mean, this is supposed to be, and the writer of Hebrew tells that tells us that that is for us today. That because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we get to enter the Holy of Holies. We get to have that special, special one-on-one time. We get to have that today. And that's why Satan doesn't want you to have it. And if you have a hidden nightmare, he's gonna hold it against you so that when you go in there, you're gonna feel like I am miserable, I don't belong here, and you'll hear nothing from God. And you're gonna come out of your personal holy of holies, your quiet time, and you're gonna say, eh. Oh, yeah, he, he loves it when you have that personal nightmare, that hidden nightmare, because he wants to keep it there. And once our relationship with, with the Lord is kind of destroyed. He sends all kinds of forces after you to keep it there. He has this one demon that I call the demon of one more time. Because if you have an addiction, or know, if anybody that's had an addiction, or you're currently suffering from addiction, you hear it all the time. One more drink and you can quit. One more visit to that website and you can quit. One more time with the marijuana and then you can throw the rest away. And it's all a lie. Because the minute you do it one more time, he's at you again. Do it one more time. Or it's my lot in life. This is another nasty demon. Peggy and I pastored up in, up in uh, Edgewater, and we had this one older gentleman who was in a lot of pain. And we'd want to pray, pray for him, and we'd pray for him. And he'd say, yeah, well, it's my lot in life. He never could accept the fact that God could heal him. And then there's, this one is really a fun one. He's kind of related to the one more time demon. The demon of tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll call Pastor Bob. Tomorrow I'll call Pastor Shar. Tomorrow I'll get a hold of the Freedom Ministries. Tomorrow I'll call my cell leader. And then at one second to midnight, you're almost to tomorrow, and it jumps 24 hours ahead. And you can bet he's going to be there right away saying, oh, tomorrow, go ahead and do it tomorrow. Then there's the demon of it's no big deal. So what that I get drunk once in a while? It's no big deal. So what that I'm doing drugs? It's no big deal. So what I gambled away my last paycheck? It's just one paycheck. So what I went to that website again? It's no big deal. And you listen to that, and it will remain there. And then maybe the worst one, and there are probably other ones that he uses, but the other one, and this is a big one, is the demon of shame. He went right after Adam and Eve. The minute they sinned, 
They covered themselves. They hid because they were ashamed. The demon of shame says you cannot tell anyone. Don't you whisper to anyone because what will they think of you? When I lived out in Portland, Oregon, and was attending seminary, one Saturday at a men's meeting at the church, a group of guys were doing Christian sharing. Do we know what Christian sharing is? We were gossiping. We just tried to hide it as sharing. And one guy said, did you hear at this other church in our denomination, the youth pastor had an affair with another member of the staff there? And everybody's like, oh, man, that's just terrible. And I'm not doubting anybody felt it was terrible. And he said, yeah, but praise God. That's how he elevated up among gossip. Praise God. Praise God. The, the couple is staying together. They're going to work it out. And then here comes the baseball bat between the teeth. One guy said, yeah, but he was just out of seminary, and he flushed his whole ministerial career down the toilet. Nobody will hire him ever again. And with my hidden nightmare later, when I realized it wasn't just a bad habit, when the computer came along and it became a, a, a battle, boy, did I hear that voice. If I tell anybody... I'm toast. Nobody. Nobody will let me do this again. Yeah. Yeah, hidden nightmares, they break our relationship with the Lord, and we're just stuck there. And we stay there, stuck, fighting this thing day after day. Whether it's self-inflicted or inflicted upon us, it doesn't matter. And then you know what happens when we feel like we're stuck with it? Pastor Abby used to preach on this when she was here. We become familiar with it. It's just like it's a part of our lives. Sarah preached on being familiar with the word of God recently here. And I just thought, yeah, boy, we, can just, we just know these verses. We can rattle them off, become familiar with them like they're no big deal. That's the word of God, you know. But we become familiar with our nightmares. It's like they become some strange and twisted friend to us. And it's like, well, I just got to live with this thing. It's like that old spirit of... You know, that demon of it's my lot in life. It's almost becomes that way to us. And then, well, again, Peggy and I knew a lady that had, a, had a, an addictive habit that wasn't healthy. And a friend called her on it one day at church, after church, and she said, leave me alone, it's my only friend. Now that is a sad statement right there. Leave me alone. But anyway, once we become familiar with it, now we have a faulty view of our identity in Christ. Because it's like Christ doesn't answer my prayers. Oh, I felt that many a time. Christ, you just don't answer my prayers. You answer other people's prayers, but you don't answer mine. And so that's my view of my identity in Christ. And yes, we've heard somebody speak a lot about our identity in Christ, and so we should hear these carefully, because if our view of ourselves is not lining up with that identity, there's something wrong. And if it's a hidden nightmare, well, in a little bit, we do have some good news. You can get rid of those things. But we have this ruined identity, then we become ineffective in things like our witness, just heard a nice talk about our witness. Yeah, if you've got a faulty view of yourself, somebody's whispering in your ear, who are you to tell somebody about Jesus? Look at your life. 
Who are you? I, I remember telling Pastor Jake, because he was always a great one for telling some fantastic witness story, wasn't he? Oh, I miss him. <laughs> but I, I was sitting with him and talking with him one time. I said, the trouble with listening to you speak is, by the time you're done, I feel like I just pounded down five five-hour energy drinks and washed it down with a Red Bull. <laughs> and at 68, that's dangerous. Because I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with all this stuff? He would always tell a story that was something like this. I don't remember him ever telling the story, but he would tell the story like, well, I was at Walmart, and I was in that checkout section. You know, you're surrounded by all these cash registers, and it was busy, and the power went out. And dude, what are you going to do when that happens? I shared Jesus with them. Five people came to know the Lord. Four rededicated themselves. Two were healed, and they're all coming to church. Right? And then I'm sitting here going... I got the, the, the World Harvest sticker in my car window. Does that count? <laughs> Ineffective witness. Because I would get in a situation like that, and I'd be like, oh, I should tell them about Jesus. But I just, you know. And then also, when it comes to moving in the prophetic, as Pastor Bob has so many times tried to encourage us to move in, there's the devil. Who are you? to speak a word of mine, of God's to somebody else. Who are you? Or to pray for healing for somebody? I'm always afraid when he gets up here and says, pray for healing. I'm going to be sitting next to somebody with two broken legs, all pinned up, an arm in a cast, neck brace. And he'll say, have faith, pray for them. And I'll say, Pastor Bob, this one's yours. I'll take the hangnail next to you. And I'm not sure I have faith in the hangnail, but I'll take a bit chance with that one. We laughed, but I know in my life it was true. And, oh, but the good news is this, folks. We had some songs about light and, and coming out of the darkness. I just love the music tonight. And uh, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm going to be totally transparent here. I'm not a, a real worshiper in, in like a lot of you are. I mean, some of you up here, and you're just going at it. And I'm like, you know, there's a fly in here. You know, I get distracted. <laughs> But the music was great. The worship was great. God sets forth a pattern of healing in the, from the get-go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the surface. Who can tell me the first words of God? Let there be light. Okay, the earth was formless, it was void, some verses say chaos, and God doesn't need a cosmic flashlight, but he said, let there be light, because he's setting us an example. He's taking this ugly mess, he's making land, it's good. He's making oceans and seas and lakes, it's good. He's making plants, it's good. He's making stuff in the oceans, it's good. Even though you never see them, it's good. He makes animals on the land, it's good. He's doing all of this out of a mess, and boy, is that a pattern for us today. He takes messes, shines his light on them, and makes them good. Yes. My computer's sticking here. <laughs> so how can I be free? Can I be free from my nightmare? Yes. But there's some of us here, and I was one that for the long time thought it's impossible. There's a story in Genesis also. You can tell I love the Torah. 
My wife's going nuts. Please bring something from the New Testament. I will. I promise. I promise. I am so dead when I get home tonight. <laughs> no. There's the story of Abraham and Sarah. God made a promise that you're going to have a son, and through that son, you're going to be the father of nations. And God waits until they're well past childbearing years, and then he informs them it's going to happen. Now, Abraham laughed, but he wasn't rebuked. Why? Because he laughed out of faith and belief. He's like, oh my goodness, it's going to happen. Yes! And he's laughing because he's... It's going to happen. I laughed like that when the Bears won the Super Bowl back in 85. <laughs> Haven't laughed like that since, but anyway. Sarah laughed, got rebuked, because she laughed in disbelief. One laughed in faith, and this is not a men-women's thing. You can reverse the roles, trust me. One laughed out of faith. One laughed out of human reasoning. Abraham kept his eyes on God. It's going to happen. Sarah looked at herself and said, it's not. Don't look at it that way. We need, we need to let his light shine on our personal and hidden nightmares for the impossible that we think to become possible because it's with him now. Galatians 5.1. You doing good now? <laughs> Galatians 5.1. Let me be clear. The anointed one has set us free, not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. You could put down the nightmares of our past if you wanted to there because it is like bondage. But don't expect the Lord to bring your freedom to you on your terms and according to your reasoning. It won't happen. Okay? You do it according to your terms and your reasoning, it's not going to happen. Now, first and foremost, also don't do it the hard way. The hard way is not to do anything about it. Hard way is to keep it hidden. The hard way is to try to keep it in the dark because it's going to do one of two things. It's going to be like David. It'll blow up in your face or it's going to eat you up until doubt takes over and you leave the church. It's the possibility of a third choice where you just live a miserable Christian life all your life. I don't really think that's a possibility. In my life, it blew up in my face. The internet is a dangerous world. Young people, you might be so comfortable with the internet. Don't be. One day, I, get a, I have visitors from the local police department come to my house. They have a report that one illegal pornographic picture came to my house. Yeah, it started another nightmare of a year and a half of legal problems that ended up with me pleading guilty to a charge I didn't do because my lawyer said they found a couple of pictures that were questionable. They never found the picture they were looking for. They found a couple other pictures that could argue this way, you could argue that way. But either way, had to take three years probation. And it, wasn't, and it hasn't been easy a lot, and obviously it became very difficult because it hit some people that I love dearly right like a semi-truck. My nightmare just didn't hit me, it hit others. But, going back to good news, God took my life that was now then formless and void, I started letting the light shine on it, and God brought help from some 
strange places, some wonderful places, sometimes some embarrassing places. You might say, why embarrassing? Because I had a lot of pride and God had to knock it down. And I think the only way he figured he could knock my pride down was to embarrass me. Well, first and foremost, I owe so much to my wife who took the brunt of this and my family for their love and support. My, my daughters, both of them, showed un, just endless love. And then my wife's family was incredible as a whole. My mother-in-law, in her 90s, clear as a bell, she... You know, if my, my mother-in-law doesn't understand you, it's because she didn't hear you. She's sharp as a tack. And uh, she's a wonderful lady. I got so many cards from her over the last uh, three, four years in notes of encouragement. And, and just to be around her was always a joy. It still is a joy. But um, there were other people. Uh, there were some very good friends, people that I worked with in factories for like 16 years and whom my wife and I have just kind of adopted one of them. Now I'm embarrassing somebody else. <laughs> but, yeah. My wife was connected with um, a ministry group down in Troy, Missouri. So because I wanted to be free, I was willing to go anywhere. So I went to Troy, Missouri, sitting in the office of the Freedom uh, Outpost Church, and in comes the pastor, Pastor Bertha. I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to a woman about my problem. And then the lady was the head of the deliverance, the lady that was the head of the deliverance ministry, Jeanette Connell, she comes in and they're gonna talk to me about this before we start to pray and work our way through it. And I'm like, oh, I am dying. <laughs> oh. So, but there were good people from New Hope Lutheran Church up in Minong where we were pastoring. They stuck with us. Then my daughter Bridget says, you need to see my pastor. I said, okay, I'll go see your pastor. And so I went to see Pastor Bob. And again, because I didn't know him from anybody, I think, I'm going to go into his office. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to tell him about this stuff. And he's going to look at me and say, you knothead, what were you thinking? You're a pastor. And that's exactly what he didn't say. <laughs> I thought he was going to, but he didn't. No, it was great sport. Then I had a family member that says, you need a good Christian counselor. And I said, yeah. She, he said, so Wendy, you're, you said you'd watch. I went to see Wendy um, Muska, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I made an appointment, then canceled the appointment. Then I made an appointment, and I'm going to go talk to another woman. Come on, give me a break, Lord. There was no break, because the secretary said after the third time, you cancel again, we're not taking you. So I show up for the appointment. I'm dying. Wendy comes out. She looks at me and says, you must be Jeff. I'm Wendy. Come on in. Let's get this thing taken care of. I'm like, really? It's not going to be that simple. I, she knew it wasn't going to be that simple. But by the time she said about a little over a year ago, we're all done, I'm like, no, we can't be done yet, can we? I was already missing her. I wasn't even done, you know. And then because I was on probation, I had this really nice probation officer, a nice guy named Ben. And a year later, after a year into it, he gets transferred. And have you guessed who the replacement is? A woman. Yes. So I'm starting all over with another woman. Now, she, she's, again, she's a, a, Kim, you're fantastic. You were a godsend. She said she'd watch too. She was a blessing. They were all blessings. And after my pride, pride, pride I'll spit it out, got duly smacked to the ground, 
God said, let's start to build again. Okay, the hardest, I need to wrap this up here, the hardest but shortest steps to freedom I'm going to give to those of you that need it in just a minute. I'm going to have the ministry come up, and they're going to be hard steps to stand, to come up, to come up to somebody and say, I have a hidden nightmare, and this is what it is. And get it out in the open and let God's light shine. Now, where it will go from there, your journey of healing and restoration will be different than mine, and you can say, thank you, Lord, that it was different than his. <laughs> and maybe it'll be similar. I don't know, but it'll be, it'll be different. But it'll be healing. It'll be restoration. And, it will, and it'll be freedom for you. And that's the important thing. One of the important lessons that I learned in counseling, you know, this, tell you, I'll spit it out. God has a way of doing things. There were times Pastor Bob and I would talk about things. Now, he didn't talk to Wendy. And a week later, I go see Wendy, and we're talking about the exact same issues. And there were times I'd be talking to Wendy about something, and I'd go see Kim, and Kim would bring up the exam. And I'm like, what are you guys, tag-teaming me? Come on, one at a time, be fair. <laughs> it was good, but one of the best lessons I learned was leave the shame. Embrace God's grace. Leave the shame and embrace God's grace. Like I said, the hardest but shortest steps up here this church has some really wonderful people who knows what Jesus would do. They just do it. Whether it's your cell leaders, whether it's the pastors, we have a freedom ministry here. There's nothing to be afraid of. And it might be uncomfortable, it might be a little bit embarrassing, depending upon what your nightmare is. I'm telling you, the freedom at the other end will be far better than having it explode on you one day or have it eat you up on the inside. So I have just one last thing I want to share. It'll only take an hour, so I'll try to be brief. <laughs> My wife will tell you, he cracks jokes when he's nervous. Because, yes, I am scared silly right now. But... <laughs> When we first came to this church, I just want to show you how powerful shame could be. You folks in that second row there, <laughs> Jacqueline, Harold, your crew, that was our seats with me on the end because I wanted to be the first one out the door. Now I was on the flip side. I'm on the healing side now. I still, and then we moved up to the second row and then some nasty family sat there like three, four weeks running. So we had to move over here where this lady is sitting, right? And it's like, and I, I do like the aisle seat, but I also wanted to be the first one out the door. And then one day we had, I don't remember what was going on, but we had a special class in here. And I sat here and I remember that when Peggy and I would go to other conferences and other churches, we always like to get there early because we like to be up close to get as much as possible. Not that in this church, if you're back a little further, although there are some heretics in the back row I see there. That's my daughter and sister-in-law I'm picking on, by the way. <laughs> this is really more of our normal seats for us. Don't sit in them. <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. But it took a while. <laughs> now you're going to crack me up. Now it took, a, it took a while to break it free. Now, a year, almost two years ago in February, I was invited to share at a men's breakfast, give my testimony. Pastor Bob asked me one day, and then Bobby asked me again a little bit later. And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
I'll do that. I'm inside. I'm like, no. I'm not ready to do that yet. So that February day, wake up, there's an ice storm. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm standing at the window looking out, and Peggy comes up. What do you think? Well, <clears throat> I suppose I should give it a try. But if the car starts to fishtail bad, I'm coming home. So I'm driving through Spooner. It's fishtailing, right? 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 right. <laughs> I'm out on 70, it's fishtailing, right? Right? No, it's not doing I'm out on the interstate, it's fishtailing. No. Get all the way down here. I slip and fall on the ice. That is reason to go home. I'm wet from the hip down. I go down, we have the breakfast. Next thing you know, Bobby's saying, Jeff, where are you? get up to speak. And I'm like, no. I kind of know what I said, but I don't know what I said because I was like, inside. And afterwards, Pastor Bob was saying, that was good. And all of a sudden, it hits me. I'm free. I'm a, I mean, I'm a lot freer, but I'm free. And anybody tonight listening very careful, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't easy sharing some of this stuff again tonight, but I think I heard that anvil come down, and I think the, the ankle bracelet thing, whatever, came off. You see, when you have a testimony of your nightmare on the other side, you're going to set other people free too. Not just yourself. So let's, let's all stand. And I just heard somebody go, amen. <laughs> Amy, could you come and minister to us in music? You know that's what she does when she plays up there. The whole worship team, absolutely. But this is ministry. And, and, and the ministry team, you be ready to get up here right away. Or you can come up right away if you want. I just realized, you come up. I don't bite. I'm a little jumpy tonight, but I don't bite. This is a message about Hanukkah. Hanukkah was about people, the Jewish people, getting rid of the Greeks who were trying to ruin their lifestyle, destroy their lives, by not simply making them live under Greek authority, by making them Greeks. In other words, the Greeks wanted to destroy their dependence on God. Totally. And these Jewish fighters said no. And this little band of rabble-rousers drove out the world's most powerful army so they could be free. Tonight is about freedom. I have here a book of poetry, and I want to read one of the poems in here. It's called Addiction, but it really could be called Nightmares. Now, you'll have to forgive me. I'm not a real poetic person, so I'm going to try to get this right. But it's called Addiction, but like I said, you could really call this Nightmares. A cold grip around my heart, it won't let go. No rest until I do the thing I wish I wouldn't, or I do the thing I wish I would let go. I long to be free, to be me, without this thing. It's cold grip around my heart, sometimes too painful to hope. Heavy, Sleep with no rest, the world becomes more gray every day. It tastes of ash and hopelessness. Hope tastes like the first day of spring as the snow begins to melt. It smells like the earth after a late summer's rain. It feels like the sun finally breaking through the clouds. Let there be light. Hope is the breath, first breath in a baby's lung, their cry loud and piercing. 
Hope is a promise of new beginnings and never being alone. Hope is bursting forth in a glorious day. <laughs> Let there be light. For he walked out of the grave and he is walking still. The book is Breath Exposed, a collection of experiences by um, Samantha Diarman. I hope I did justice to your poem. Anyway, the tongue has power over life and death, and those in, who indulge in it must eat its fruit. So if your tongue is saying impossible, that's the fruit you get to eat. And I guarantee you don't want to eat that fruit. If your heart, if your tongue, I should say, is saying, God is going to free me, that is the fruit you get to eat. And finally, God said in Jeremiah 15, 19, if you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. God is saying, I, I want to use you, but you got to speak good words. So don't say no. Don't say impossible. Say yes. It's possible. So let's us together speak some words of life and freedom. <clears throat> Repeat after me. I am not a slave to my past. I am leaving the shame. I am embracing God's grace. My history is not my destiny. Now that last one I want you to think of in light of Jeremiah 29, 11, which a lot of us just know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah wrote that, spoke that to a people who sinned against God, were carried off into captivity, were living a nightmare, and now God says to these people in their nightmare, I have plans for you. I have hope and a future for you, not to hurt you. If you have a nightmare, these words are for you. So let's say it one more time. My history, my history. is not my destiny. Not my destiny. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for tonight. I just thank you for everybody here being so patient and, and listening. And Lord, I just pray for everyone who your word spoke to their heart about a nightmare in their life. I pray, Lord, that they will now take the shortest, but yet might be the hardest step to freedom. I pray for anybody online right now, Lord, who is suffering a nightmare, that they will reach out in the days to come. If they don't know anybody in this church and they're listening for the first time, they'll call the church office. If they're members of this church, they'll call their cell leader. They'll get a hold of somebody in the freedom ministry, but they will reach out. They will bring this nightmare into the light and be healed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please come forward if you need that nightmare. If you've got some other problems, come forward for those too. But come forward nonetheless. Thank you. Amen.